This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. How this prostitute who was not Jewish and had been living her whole life in sin and distant from God, in one moment of declaring her faith in the Lord God, is received by God with mercy and forgiveness. She is ushered in to the Jewish people. She becomes a proselyte to Judaism, marries Salmon, produces a son who produces a son who produces a son. She's the great, great grandmother of King David. Have you ever thought you're too messed up or just too insignificant to be used by God? Do you think you can't compare to the heroes of the faith in the Bible? The Bible is full of messed up, sinful people that God chose to use to further His kingdom. In his message today, Pastor Gary will share the story of Rahab, a Gentile prostitute who showed faith in the God of Israel. God used her, and she was in the lineage of King David and Jesus Christ. God can take your broken life and use it for His glory. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 6, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The last point, number four, is that there's instruction here to worship while you wait. Because he says to them on the seventh day, I want you to shout. I want you to shout. I want you to be silent for the first six days, but on the seventh day, on the seventh time around, I want you to shout. And then the walls fell. And they didn't fall because they shouted loud enough to cause, you know, some kind of an earthquake, all right? Some liberal theologians actually say that. That's ridiculous. They shouted as a voice of victory before the victory happened. There's something to be said about worshiping while we wait. You know, when we worship before we get the victory, we are worshiping about the faithfulness of God. When we worship after we get the victory, we're worshiping in thankfulness to God. But there's something to be said about praising Him while we wait, even before we see the results. Why? Because God is worthy of our praise. You know, I'm reminded in Acts chapter 16, remember when Paul and Silas were thrown into prison because um, they were in Philippi and they were arrested for the gospel. They're put in prison. And in Acts 16, it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I just love that picture because they're in, you know, very difficult situation But they didn't wait to sing the hymns after God opened the prison doors. They sang before God did that. And then it says in Acts 16, an earthquake came and God opened the prison doors. There's something wonderful that happens when we worship God even before we see the results. Because he's worthy of our praise. Now, on to the chapter itself. Besides those quick four points I just wanted to kind of throw out there. Um, it's interesting here in verse 4 
the number of times that the number seven is mentioned. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Now, the trumpets here are the ram's horns. It specifically says there. And we're talking in Hebrew, the shofar. So this, I, I bought this shofar in Israel, my first trip to Israel, 24 years ago. I was in the Arab market and uh, in the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, the guy was selling them. And I said, how much? And he says, $250. I said, no way. $250. Now, uh, what I love when I go to Israel is they actually expect you uh, to barter. And if you don't, they're insulted. You know, I wish I could, you know, go into Target and say, I ain't paying this. You bring your price down now or I'm walking out. Well, that's the way you do it in Israel. You negotiate like this. Am I right? Am I right? Yes, I am right, Iman. And so I went and he said, $250. I said, no, not $250. I said, uh, $100. He said, no, not $100. And I said, okay, I'm walking. And I walked out. And as soon as I turned the corner, he comes chasing after me. Sir, sir, okay, $100. I said, no, 50 now. <laughs> he said, all right, 50. <laughs> you know, when I brought this home we, and our dog was still living, my dog thought this was a giant chew stick. She loved this. She went crazy when she saw this. But this is what a shofar is. This is a ram's horn. Now, I'm gonna, I haven't blown this thing in years, but I'm going to try to do the best I can because this is what they were doing. The priests would gather these seven priests with these ram's horns, and then they were just sounding this blast. Right, here we go. There you go. That's the show for the day. Shofar, show good. All right. Anyway. <laughs> So that's a shofar. That's what the priests would do. Little show and tell today in first grade. You're welcome. <laughs> Verse 6. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who was armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. Okay, so you have the armed men in front of the ark. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. So we had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. And then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Verse 12, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. 
But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And so they did six days. This is the cycle. This is the order. This is what they are to do. You know, I love the way Joshua says to the people, don't say a word. Don't shout until I tell you to shout. I want you to go in complete silence. I wonder how many of them had a hard time doing that. You know, I mean, think about it. this is like, you know, a couple of million people going around, you know, 10 acres and the temptation to be like, yeah, what's going on up front? You know, shh, quiet. They weren't to say a thing. Verse 15, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. By the way, the number seven in the Bible is usually a number that signifies completion or perfection. And it says the rest of verse 15, on that day only, on that seventh day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. And now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. I'll talk a little bit more when we get a couple verses further. But notice, only Rahab, the harlot, shall live. She and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And remember this story, if you were with us back in chapter 2. Joshua dispatches two spies to go on like a recon mission into Jericho before they actually take the city. Those two spies go to the house of Rahab, or in Hebrew, her name is pronounced with a V at the end, Rahav. And they find lodging there. And, you know, the house of a prostitute is usually Grand Central Station. And so in the day, it was Instagram location, right? I mean, it's like, it's like uh, TikTok. I mean, th- that's where people are exchanging a lot of information. And so the spies are learning a lot of things there. They didn't go there with ulterior motives. But Rahab... Rahab gives them lodging and protects them, and she actually lies on their behalf so they won't die. We talked about that and and the ethical dilemma with that back in chapter 2. But here she is, someone who is rescued. Why? Because of her testimony and her faith. Now, I want to take you back to chapter 2 just to read this much of what she said. Back in chapter 2, verse 8 to 13. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them, that is, to the spies, on the roof, and said to the men, verse 9, I know that the Lord, this is Yahweh, this is, she understands the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Okay, this is a profound thing here. She's a Gentile, heathen prostitute. Keep that in mind. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard, we know the testimony, how the Lord, how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, for the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Let me pause there. How did she know this? You see, because God had revealed it to them. 
God had made himself known. The manifestation of his testimony had already gone to this whole town such that Rahab here is giving this amazing declaration of faith. And she adds here, verse 12, Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, it's chesed in Hebrew, mercy, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that have, and deliver our lives from death. Go back to chapter 6, your attention here. By Rahab's own testimony, she's indicating that the whole people of Jericho knew about the true identity of God, that he was the Lord God of heaven and earth. And because she made a personal declaration and asked for mercy, she received mercy. She exercised her faith in the living God. This Gentile heathen prostitute believed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the two spies made a a covenant with her, made a pact with her. Tie this scarlet cord, this red cord, it's a type of a picture of the blood of Christ, you tie this to your window, and when we come back, we will spare you and your family. So now back here in chapter 6, they're going to be true to their word. Everybody's going to be destroyed except Rahab and her family, which now kind of dovetails into this whole ethical dilemma of war. So let me just say this much. When you realize what Rahab is saying and how she herself appealed to the mercy of God, and put faith and trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and spoke thus on behalf of everybody that we know, but only she was willing to make this declaration of faith. The people are culpable. They are accountable. When you see here in a couple more verses that God says, I want you to go in and take the city, and the Israelites go in with a sword, and they slaughter everybody, don't walk away from this story and think, this is a brutal God, I can't believe that he's doing this. We have to understand something about the character and nature of God. By the way, he's the same God through Old Testament and New Testament. Some people look at the New Testament like, I like that God. You know, he's Father God. They look at the Old Testament and go, I don't like that God. He's the Godfather. Okay, wait. <laughs> he's the same God. And he exercises mercy when anyone calls upon his name. That's Old Testament. That's New Testament. He exercises mercy when anyone calls on his name. But he will hold us to account when we thumb our nose at him. The people of Jericho knew who he was and did nothing except Rahab and this family. And for that reason, she was spared. It's the same truth in Genesis when we look about the story of Noah and his family and the ark, the boat that was crafted in order to rescue whoever wanted to be saved. And the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. But how many got saved as a result of his ministry? Only eight. He and his own family. That was it. The rest of the people thumbed their nose at God and they suffered the consequences. This is the way it goes. There is a righteous, holy God who demands righteousness and holiness. Well, how can we be righteous and holy enough for a righteous and holy God? We can't. Thus, he offers his son as an expression of his mercy that through faith in him we might be saved. But even before his son was revealed, God, who is infinite in mercy, has mercy on a Gentile, heathen, prostitute to save her, just like he has expressed his mercy for every single one of us who call upon the name of the Lord today. We are Rahab. And thus Rahab is going to get saved here. And you have not heard the end of Rahab. 
Because if you know your Bibles, you know that she's mentioned three times in the New Testament. The first time she appears is in Matthew chapter 1. Because when Rahab is rescued from this pagan city, she marries a guy by the name of Salmon, a Jew. She's a Gentile. She marries this Jewish guy named Salmon. They have a son together, Boaz. Boaz marries a lady in the Bible that you know named Ruth. Together they have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David. This Gentile heathen prostitute is in the genealogical record that leads up to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story of redemption. How this prostitute who was not Jewish and had been living her whole life in sin and distant from God in one moment of declaring her faith in the Lord God is received by God with mercy and forgiveness. She is ushered in to the Jewish people. She becomes a proselyte to Judaism, marries Salmon, produces a son who produces a son who produces a son. She's the great, great grandmother of King David. And the line of David to the Messiah Jesus. It's a beautiful story of redemption. She's mentioned again in Hebrews 11. Verse 31, in the Hebrew Hall of Faith, she's mentioned again in James 2.25, as a woman who exercised faith and works to show by her works that she did believe that God is God. So when you read this story, yes, does it have this difficult whole section here about the slaughtering of people? Yes, that's hard to read. But we have to understand in the big picture of righteousness and justice and mercy that there is mercy for all who will turn. But there were people here who knew just as Rahab did and said, no, thank you. And when we exercise that choice, as sad as it is to say, no, thank you to God, we will suffer the consequences for that. So please, it is better to be on the side of mercy and to ask for mercy and forgiveness than to thumb a nose at God, because there are consequences that will result. And thankfully, you know, here we are, even more recipients of his grace, this side of the cross. Let's read through the rest of the chapter here. And so in verse 18, And you by all means abstain from the accursed things. Okay, this particular Hebrew word is haram. In Arabic, it's very similar, haram, something that is forbidden. Um, All the articles within the city of Jericho were to be untouched except for the silver, the gold, and the bronze, and that was going to be taken into the future uh, tabernacle. But everything else was to be left there. They're not to plunder this city. This is accursed. You know, it's interesting. When archaeologists um, discovered the ancient ruins of Jericho, they found um, barrels and barrels of grain that was untouched. Normally, when any invading army captures a city, you're going to confiscate all the grain. So for it to be left there shows it's evidence of what the Bible is saying here. They didn't touch any of the stuff. They didn't touch any of the stuff. It was accursed, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Verse 19, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated. The Hebrew word is chadesh, meaning holy or sacred to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. 
And so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. And then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, and donkey, with the edge of the sword." But Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. That's interesting, by the way. This is one other point in the archaeological discovery. In 1907 and 1909, when the Germans did an archaeological dig there at Jericho, they found one small portion on the northern wall that did not fall with the rest of the whole walls of the city. And it is consistent with, although we don't know for sure if it was Rahab's house, it's consistent with the story because they actually go into her house. If everything had been leveled, because in chapter 2 it tells us that her house was part of the city walls. So if the walls had fallen, her house would have crumbled. But there's this one section on the northern part of the city walls that had not crumbled. And so verse 23, and the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel, but they burned the city. They burned the city, interestingly, too. One other point from archaeologists, when they were digging out the site, they reached a level where they found a layer of burned ash and debris about one meter, three feet thick. Archaeologist Kathleen Kenyon She was, um, in the 1950s, discovered this. She's a British archaeologist. A three-foot level of ash. It's all consistent with the Bible. They burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. I just want to comment on that previous verse. Joshua curses the city. And he said, if anyone rebuilds this, it'll be at the cost of his firstborn. If he lays the gates, it'll be the cost of his secondborn. And 500 years later, you can write in the margin of your Bible, 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, it came to pass. Tragically, in 1 Kings 16, verse 34, it says, In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn. Literally, it means at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, or literally at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua the prophet, the son of Nun. That's 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34. About 500 years later, what Joshua pronounced came to pass because God never wanted this ancient city to be rebuilt. And today, it still lies in ruins. Again, the more modern part of Jericho is next to it. But this ancient tell serves as a reminder of the mighty hand of God. And thankfully, 
he is also a merciful God who saves Rahab's just like you and me. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message in the book of Joshua again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. While you're there, you'll notice our companion resources. These digital study guides give you some additional insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done. They are completely free for you to use. If this ministry continues to be a blessing to you and you want to listen to more teachings, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person, so come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today, so put a marker in your Bible right there in Joshua, and we'll plan to study the Word again next time. Thanks so much for listening to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know